Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 15, Pretense. Guess what? What? I remembered this one. (gasps) Yay! Oh my god! Finally! (laughs) Finally I came across one where I was like, oh yeah, this one! Got it. Okay. Yay! This is this is another good one. Yeah. I like this one a lot. I did really enjoy it. Yes. Okay. Um, before we get into this week, I have a little bit of a follow-up from last week. Um, sort of when we got to the end of the episode, our my my final question was like, what happened to SG6? Like the actual SG6? Um, and you would ask like what that team does because there was that episode of a while back where we'd gone through all of the various specialties for Oh yeah, did you find all your teams? notes? Well, because I didn't make notes because somebody already put it together on a website. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's right. It was it was on, like, one of the Stargate wikis. Um, so SG-6 um, is apparently currently search and rescue, but at one point was designated a medical team. Um, they're one of the teams that it was uh, in the line of duty, like the first episode of season two, or the second episode of season two, when Sam gets the Jolinar and they're they're on that planet helping everybody escape. Supposedly the other team is SG-6. That's there helping them. Um, And they also mentioned in the episode Matter of Time that Daniel was off world with SG-6 on a dig Mm. when those events happened. Um, But I could not find anything or any kind of speculation about what actually happened with SG-6 at the end of Foothold. So they probably did. I think they did die, yeah. Poor SG-6. Yeah. Maybe that's something that we should be keeping track of uh, along with the Daniel deaths, is how many many other SG teams along the way go missing and or die. Oh. Because I think there's been a couple before this one, even. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I think it's actually what sparked the whole thing of, think, oh, of yeah. finding out what the other SG teams are. Yeah. Talking about what is in a, with a different team. Yeah. Oh, it was because of a uh, because of the episode where you know um, Apophis thought it would be a good idea to train a Jaffa team to look like the SGC. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And so, it was because they kidnapped SG eleven, I think. Yes. I think that's what sparked poor SG-11. What happened to you? Yeah. Yeah, the entire team was captured and later executed by Apophis SG-11. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So, yeah, I I think SG-6 is dead. Poor one out for SG-6. Yep. Cheers to SG-6. Yeah. Um, All right. So, we move on to pretense. Let's do it. Okay, so this episode originally aired on January 21st, 2000. So there was like a two-month break between Foothold and this, so sort of the mid-season break-ish, oh. which makes sense between 14 and 15 because there's 22 episodes. So This was the first episode of the new millennium? It was. Oh, it's a good one. It is. Excellent one. All and right. It, it was written by Catherine Powers and directed by David Worry Smith. 
And in this episode, uh, SG-1 is invited to the Tolan planet to attend a ceremony called a triad, and they are shocked to discover it is actually a trial to determine the fate of their old friend Skara. Mm -hmm. Daniel and Jack must argue a case against a mysterious ghoul named Zapakna to save him. So do you think they had been planning this episode for a while, or were they just like, you know, we should probably let everybody know what happened to Skara? I don't know. I didn't get in too much into the history of why this episode got written, but I I do think at this point in the series, it makes sense to have this, especially since we've dealt with Share a few episodes ago with Forever in a Day. While it's nice to have through threads, you know, for a while, they can't, they really can't go on too long because then it's just like, okay, are you ever going to deal with this? Like what's happening and I think this is a good point in the series to sort of wrap this up so then SG-1 can sort of move on to other challenges and things they need to figure out. So Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So this episode starts in a space with a Death Glider under attack from two motherships. <gasps> uh, they are near a planet and there are energy blasts that come from the planet and destroy the motherships. The glider was damaged in the fight and ends up crashing into the planet. And when we get down to the planet, we see a group of people standing near something, possibly the weapon that shot those blasts into the sky. And those folks go running uh, to the glider and we see that it is Skara in there. Yay. And he begs them for help. And it's interesting it, that it is Skara that speaks and asks for help and not Chlorel. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah. And then we cut to the opening credits. So we're just like bang into it this yep. week. Right in there. Yep. So we come back from the opening credits at the SGC and there's an incoming wormhole, but no GDO signal. Uh, SG-1 and Hammond are all in the control room at this point. And Hammond also mentions that all SG teams are currently on Earth. Like there's nobody out there. So we're not expecting any visitors at this point. The iris then starts sort of warping, if you will, and through it comes a cat. And Sam's like, hold on, it's Schrodinger. That's the cat that she gave to Nareem from the Tolans when they left Earth. So Sam heads down to the gate room to, you know, pick up Schrodinger and tells everybody to like hold their fire. And then Nareem steps through and apologizes for not knowing the protocol, but hoped Schrodinger would at least be a good enough warning that friend, you know, hi, friendly person incoming, please don't shoot me <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so Hammond orders the guards to stand down and that Nareem is welcome here. And Nareem and Sam have a little bit of a moment. I just think. I can't decide yet if those moments are like cute or creepy because it's usually it, like a healthy mix of both. And yes. I don't the know one, which way they tip. The one later we'll get to is a little like, it's so good to see you. Like if yeah. somebody said that to me, I would just be like, thank you. And I would not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nareem has come with a message from the Tolan Curia for Jack and his team and that their presence is request it their presence is requested at Triad. Uh, fun fact, Curia is a real word. That's gonna be a lot of the fun facts this week is it's, <laughs> the, it's, the it's things the that check, didn't spell check. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Curia is actually just a Latin word that means court. Oh, so 
I think I think there was like some actual research done this week on like terminology terms and names and things yes terms and names of things actually like make sense this week so awesome wait so who wrote this one again Catherine Powers all right yay Catherine Powers yes uh, so up in the briefing room, Daniel and Noreen discuss the meanings of the words triad and trial and agree that they are the same thing. Which I, is, did you notice in this that Daniel says trial like as if you should know what that means? Like he invites them to triad and then he's like, what's triad? And he explains it. And then Daniel's like, oh, so it's like a trial. As if he's supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, I got it. And I, and I love that name was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the matter at hand at Triad concerns Skara and Jack and Jen are both like, what? Skara? Oh, my God. Fantastic. Yes. And the Triad will take place on Tolana, which surprises Sam because they had sent the Tolan to the Knoxville because there was no gate on the new Tolana. And Noreen's like, we, we, we figured it out. He's like, of course they did, because they're way smarter than the people of Earth. Right. So SG-1 and Nareem step through the Stargate onto Tolana, and there's like wands and some cool looking buildings. And a fun fact, this is Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, British Columbia. Like, oh. so much stuff for some there. Like, uh, Battlestar filmed there. Um, J-Pod was filmed there. Like, a whole bunch. Like, anytime there's, like, I think some sort of official government-looking type buildings that need to be established as a setting, it's very often Simon Fraser University. So. I, I did have the thought of, like, oh, look at, they use such primitive materials to build those buildings that are theoretically assumed you think they would have built all of the buildings out of something we've never even recognized but no concrete there. concrete and glass yeah <laughs> it, it works for a reason i guess so yeah um and so it turns out that uh they built their own stargate right which is cool but okay this may be me thinking too hard about how the stargate works the entire point of this podcast Wait, I mean, yes, but how how could we dial the that address? Because it's not in the Stargate like network. Like the Stargate network doesn't know that gate is there. Ooh, that's true. You know, or does it? Or can you just dial any six points, and if it, there happens to be a gate there, it'll find it. But it's also like not built out of like Nequadria, It seems like, um, and yeah, I just I. I might be thinking too hard about how our Stargate can connect to that Stargate when they they we they don't know it exists. Oh, I'm trying to think about it in the context of like telephones. I know. Of if you just have a telephone and you hook up the telephone, but you don't have a telephone number. Yeah. How does someone call you? Right. That's the thing. It's basically yeah, like hooking up a phone without a telephone number. Yeah. Without, yeah, without, or without your phone number being reported as a phone number. But then there's also the point of you can probably just dial like seven random numbers and you'll connect to a phone. Mm-hmm. There's enough of them out there. But yeah. I don't, I don't know. This kind of. Ooh, yeah. That's, it's definitely valid, but it's, it's definitely a, a thinking too hard about okay. it thing. Okay. I'm going to try and forget I thought about it then. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> also, okay, so I know we have talked about this before. Uh-huh. But it's so how many symbols are on the Stargate again? 39. 39. So and 38 constellations plus the point of origin as 39. Yeah, I, I recently tried to explain to someone how the Stargate dials and locates and whatever, and I found that I really couldn't do it, which means I did not retain enough information last time we talked about it. Of like, <laughs> if there's 30 some symbols on the stargate and the last one has to be the point of origin then how is it that we can dial more than like 38 planets how's it Hmm. okay so so how the stargate works is you take six of the symbols because you need six symbols plus the point of origin is how that works and the six symbols form a cube so like think think about like a die and on each side of the die is a constellation you then connect those constellations like across and where those three lines intersect is the planet is is where your go is your destination and then the point of origin tells you where you're coming from so the gate knows how to get you from where you're coming from to where you're going but still how does that how how do we dial more than 38 planets because you could have overlapping stargates Points like of you origin? could have no, because the point of origin is always the same. But so you can have, so you have these well, six symbols that mean this planet. You can take those five, but then add one that's sort of on the other side and you kind of flip the die. So instead of over here, you're now like over here and then the point of origin well, to there. Right. But that's my question is if the point of origin is the distinctive I am here going to there symbol and it's unique to the Stargate. Why are there only 38 symbols? Because, okay, so you can have an address that's one, two, three, four, five, six, point of origin. You can have an address that's one, two, three, four, five, seven, point of origin. You can have one, two, three, four, five, eight, point of origin, etc. That's way more than 38 planets. But those are all involved in where you're going, not where you're coming from. But we're always coming from Earth. Well, I know. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think we're getting the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the Earth symbol, right? Yeah, yes. Distinctly that Stargate Earth symbol. Yes. That is not the point of origin for any other Stargate and or planet. Correct. And that is true for the rest of the symbols on the Stargate. No. All, from what I understand, every gate has the same 38 symbols plus then their own unique point of origin but all of the others so the symbols on the stargate are different depending on the stargate no they're the same except for the point of origin so like the gate on earth and the gate on abydos are completely identical except for the point of origin well that makes sense i'm like 98 percent sure that's how that's how the show tells us it works Okay, I think that's the very, I think that is the key that I was missing. Okay. Is that the symbol, the origin symbol is different on our Stargate. Yes. Mm. Okay, are we good to move on? Oh my God, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so are you going to cut this whole thing out? No, I'm leaving it in because I think it's an interesting discussion. And if I don't know, if anybody out there has any insight or remember. questions about how the Stargate functions, please let us know. Did we, we ever to- talk about that before? 
I know we've talked about Stargate functionality before, but I don't know if we ever got that in depth with it of like yeah. how and the what and the who. Yeah, I don't. I, I I'm pretty sure we talked about it briefly in like the first episode because there was that whole thing about how Daniel's trying to explain how to dial Earth, and everybody's like, we don't care, just do it, kind of mm. a thing. Um. So, but yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. I I know we've talked in general about it, but yeah, I don't think we've ever gotten that specific with it. Yeah. Okay. Fun. I remember. I remember the Daniel explaining it in the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right, proceed okay. to what All we're right. actually talking about. Okay. So they're now inside a building walking down a hall and they get scanned by this white light that disables their weapons. And Jack is not happy about that because remember, he hates surprises. Mm-hmm. But as Nareem says, the Tolan have never been a threat to them. So what would they need to defend themselves against? And Tilk agrees because he didn't even bring his staff weapon to this, he does have his at. You notice he does have his at in the holster, but he doesn't have his staff weapon. Mm-hmm. And then Sam's like, well, you know, our weapons probably wouldn't do much good against what, you know, all this super awesome tone and technology anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. They then enter what looks like a large courtroom, and Nareem introduces SG1 to, ha- to High Chancellor Travell. She welcomes them and is grateful that they've agreed to participate. She then says a bunch of words that SG-1 doesn't understand. So Daniel respectfully asks her to define those terms. So here's how the triad works. There are two seekers, which are basically sort of like the prosecution and the defense, and then three archons who are the attorneys, one for the prosecution, one for the defense, and then one neutral party, which I think is really cool. And the archons all argue until an agreement of the matter is reached. And so Archon is another actual word. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few meanings, but I think the one that makes sense here is um, it's actually the name for a chief magistrate in ancient Athens. Oh. Or generally just sort of like a presiding officer or oh. proceedings of some sort. So that does make sense. Again, yeah, it does make sense. Yay. Mm-hmm. So Nareem then takes SG-1 to see Skara, and when we first get there, Chlorel is sort of in charge, and he, like, curses them out for what they did to Apophis. But then it turns out that the Tolan have this really cool technology that can actually suppress a ghouled symbiote and allow the host to speak. And Jack's like, great, we'll take a dozen. And Nareem's like, mm, sorry, no can do. about that? No. Uh, yeah, no. So basically what was happening at the beginning of the episode is that Scar was fleeing from an attack by Heru-Ur and Chlorel knew the Tolan would be able to stop the attack, which they did. Which, how did Chlorel know where the new Tolana is? I don't know. Um, unfortunately, Heru-Ur was not on either of the ships that blew up, but still two motherships are gone and that's good for us. Hey, yeah. So, okay, but, so what exactly is the matter to be argued at Triad? Like, what are we trying to decide? Basically, Skara wants to be freed from Chlorel, but Chlorel refuses to leave Skara's body. So the matter is to decide who gets control of the human body. It's an interesting thing to actually have a trial about. It is. And so then we ask, okay, so who's on Chlorel's side? Enters... Lord Zipakna, or as my husband and I call him, thanks to Jack's quip later in the episode, Zippy. <laughs> and we actually still, like, whenever we see Kevin Durand and something, we're like, hey, it's Zippy. 
like all the time. Hey, it's Sippy. Um, I know. I love it when he plays like a big bold Texan in things. And then mm-hmm. I see him in this and I'm just like, I just, I want you to wear a cowboy hat. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one so of the well. first, like, like he, I th- he's in walking tall, right. With like the rock and stuff. And it's like, Oh my God. Oh, I never saw that version. Oh, uh, that's a pretty good one. It's only like, it's like 88 minutes. It's real short, but it's pretty good. Okay. All you need. Um, yeah. Um, would you like some fun facts about Zipakna? Sure. Okay, so Zipakna is actually a Mayan god. Oh. As you may have been able to tell by his mode of dress, possibly. Yes, he did dress, interestingly. Yes. Velour? Uh, I think there was velour under there. Yeah, it was It was kind of shiny, yeah. yeah. Like under the beaded thing. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be velvety, velour-y. Fuzzy. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. and quite a short skirt. <laughs> I didn't mind that. No, I didn't either. <laughs> um, so he and his brother, brother Cabricon, were considered demons mm-hmm. in Mayan mythology. Uh, he's also said to have created the mountains. One of the popular stories in the Popol Vuh, which is a text that recounts various uh, mythology and the history of the Quiche people, involves Zipakna and the 400 boys. So in the story, Zipakna was chilling on a beach when 400 local boys, who are possibly various patron deities of alcohol, uh, came sort of stumbling along, a little drunk, and decided they wanted to build a hut. So they cut down a very large tree for the central post, but it was too heavy for them to carry. Zipakna decided to carry it for them as a sort of mocking of their lack of strength, and the boys decided that one man should not have such strength and power and decided to kill him by asking him to dig a hole And then when he was sort of down in the hole, they were going to drop the post on top of him, kind of like squishing him. But he figured out what they were doing and dug a tunnel off to the side where he hid and he faked his death, uh, including, I think, like peeling off bits of like his skin and hair for crabs to carry out for them to see. Uh, And so the boys then finished their hut, believing him to be dead. Three days later, he came out of the tunnel, cut down the post, killing all 400 boys. Uh, they went to heaven, though, and then became the Pleiades. Oh. 400 sounds like a lot. This story sounds like it'd be better with, like, 10. Mm. Well, it's 400, so. 400. 400. All right. Yep. I could definitely see how a group of 400 people would be drunk and stupid enough to be like, nobody should be that strong. You must (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Because it's usually groups of people that bring out stupidity. Yes. Especially when it's yeah. all boys. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yep. So Chlorel and Sapakna leave to discuss things privately, and Travel assures Jack that the Gould and his Jaffa are as unarmed as SG-1 is, and he's like, yeah, okay, okay sure, mm-hmm. mm-hmm, and you just believe them, yep, Okay. And Daniel then asks about who the third neutral Archon will be. And turns out it's not uh, a Tolan citizen. It's Laia from the Nox. Yay! Always good to see the Nox. Yay. So SG-1 head out to their sort of waiting room. It seems like each side here kind of has their own chambers to sort of wait and chill while things are going on. Yeah, Uh, they get their own flag. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so, like, there's the SG-1 flag, and then if you notice in, like, Scar's chamber, his flag actually had the symbol for Apophis and Abydos on it, which was cool. Oh. Hmm. So, we had, like, the one for Chlorel and the one for Scara. Mm-hmm. And then the one in the Nox room is interesting, because it's like, so is that the point of origin for the Nox planet, then? I don't know. It's interesting. 
Um, so SG1 are kind of discussing what's going on and what their game plan is going to be. And Jack seems sure that Laya will side with them, but Tilk reminds him that, you know, they did save Apophis's life. So they really, truly are neutral here in this situation. Uh, he also tells Jack that Zipakna was one of Apophis's underlords. So that's probably why Zipakna is there since this is, you know, Apophis's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nareem then comes to get them, and Jack tells Sam and Tilk to keep an eye on Spakna while he and Daniel go do the triad. So, time for the triad to begin. So, the crux of the matter is which being has the right to the human body, Skara or Chlorel? Uh, we do learn here that the uprising on Abydos, like from the movie, was three years ago, which kind of settles the timeline a little bit here, which is interesting. Oh, I didn't catch that. Wow. Yeah. Only three years? Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. Uh, and so at that time, the when a planet is under Gould rule, basically everything on that planet belongs to the Gould. So the Gould just took what they believe to be theirs, a.k.a. Skara. Mm-hmm. And the Gould argument basically sums up as like humans are just lowly animals to them like pigs are to us. So the Gould has every right to the body because they're superior. The human argument from Jack and Daniel settles that Skara was the one born into the body, but then also they also bring up the fact that the Gould have stolen everything that they have, like all their knowledge, all their technology. None of it is theirs. Like all of the human knowledge they have is because they stole humans as hosts. Yes. And so they just stole Skara's body as well. And Jack then asks Skara about the fact that he once said he would rather die than live another day as a ghoul. And like, why? Why did you say that? Like, what's the reasoning? And it's because Skara was witness to like every horrible atrocity that Chlorel committed, including trying to kill Daniel. And Zipakna tries to argue that this isn't true because the host knows nothing of what the ghoul did because nothing of the host survives. This I can't even believe that he actually says that given the trial that's happening. Yeah. Um, like, really? Because you're talking to him right now. Yeah. Um, and sort of in, in between here, we kind of cut back and forth a bit to Sam and Tilk following the Jaffa around Tulana, And we see them stopping to examine and possibly tamper with the large, um, their ion cannons is what those things are that the Tolans have as their defense system. So the the the, the Jaffa are definitely up to something, as yeah. we, we SG one could have told the Tolan. Of course, we would know because they're tricky. So to bring it back to this point of nothing of the host survives, Daniel asks Zipakna if his host is in there, and Zipakna's like, "Nope, absolutely not." And Daniel's like, "Then how do you explain that you were just talking to Skara, you know, the host of this body?" And he's like, it's just a remnant. It's not really him. And it's just, you know, the Tolan technology suppressing the gold, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, but he was speaking and thinking. And Laia jumps in and agrees that Skara was really speaking as like a true person and not just some kind of remnant personality. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, very good point. So. We then cut back to the waiting room and Sam and Tilk are there and they tell Jack and Daniel about what they saw and they think Zipakna is using Triad to solve for time while his Jaffa disable the weapons so that they can then destroy Tolana from space without getting blown up themselves. Hmm. So Sam and Nareem then meet up by a little stream and it's like 
Nareem comes to this meeting thinking Sam has asked for some kind of like sexy rendezvous date thing. Like, <laughs> like he's, is he's down. Meeting. Yeah, yeah, he's like down for it. And she's like, um, uh, hold on. There's this thing that happened in between the last time I saw you and now and Jolnar and I don't know what I'm feeling and blah, blah, blah. And luckily he's like, okay, cool. Got it. And like backs off. But yeah, when he first shows up, it's just kind of like, oh, awkward. <laughs> Oh. It is a pretty interesting interaction. Yeah, like I don't know, is Nareem just horny or something? Like what? Like, what's his deal? Well, oh, well, we don't even know like what happened to him between then and now. That's and true. Yeah. Whether or not he's had any relationships himself, we don't know. We don't know. Or unsuccessful relationships. Oh, I'm just or thinking. everyone on his planet thought he was too creepy. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking ahead to like yeah. the next time we see the Tolan and what we learn there about Nareem. <laughs> Sorry. Is there something I'm forgetting? There is something I'm forgetting. We so we go to Nareem's house and it's like a smart house kind of thing, and the the AI voice is Sam's voice. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So Sam tells him about like what the Jaffa were doing and he seems a little skeptical because the weapons are supposed to be tamper proof. And she's like, they did something like I saw them with my own eyes doing something. And he's like, okay. And you know, believes her. Mm-hmm. So good there. So SG one meet up with Nareem and Chancellor Travell and like another just random Tolan citizen at one of the cannons. There are no obvious signs of sabotage. And of course, Zapakna denied all charges against him of doing something. How dare you? And even if one of the cannons was, you know, taken out from orbit, all the other cannons would then target that ship that was in orbit and take it out. Uh, And Sam brings up unless all of the cannons were taken out at the same time. But again, no evidence of anything like that can be seen. And... You know, Sam brings up the whole, what if they were painted? And she's like, paint, there's no paint. It's like, no, just, you know, you can paint without leaving actual paint on a thing. Um, but again, since there's no obvious signs of sabotage or tampering, there's really nothing that Tatolan can do at this point. And Chancellor Travell is a bit peeved at being called away for what seems like nothing and warns SG-1 against any further accusations or they will be removed as Archon for Scaro. So Jack orders Sam and Tilk to stay away from the Jaffa, and they both think think that that's a mistake. And Tilk mentions that the Tolan haven't been at war for many, many years. They don't really think that way anymore about what war and an attack may look like. And Sam thinks, you know, their naivety will be their downfall here. And Jack is just worried about getting kicked out of Triad. And if they're kicked out, who's going to be on Skara's side? And Tilk raises the point about saving one person's Skara versus saving all of Tolana, but still, no, stand down, leave the Jaffa alone. Mm-hmm. So Tilk goes to see Laia, because he's not going to leave this alone, and she's like, you can't be here, and Tilk assures her that his visit has nothing to do with Triad, and tells her about his suspicions that the Gould are planning something, and he wants her help, but she's like, I mean, you're a big, strong man, I'm just little Knoxwim, what can I do? And she says, if you've learned anything of us, you've learned that we defend ourselves through illusion and mastery of the mind. Exactly. Aha! That's what Tilk wants her for, so. I, I, I do, I like the episode for this plan. 
Yes. It ends up being a very good plan. It does, yeah. I like it, yes. So back in the courtroom, Zipakna just has a challenge to this whole triad thing in general. And he brings up the fact that the Tolan don't have a death penalty. So, but if it's decided that Scara wins, then Chlorel will be removed from the body and the symbiote needs a host to survive. So this would be a death sentence to Chlorel. Which, I mean, unfortunately, that's a good point. I hate I hate that it's a good point, but it is. Um, and Jack is like, well, Chlorel staying is a death sentence to Scara, but Zipakna then concedes the point that the host does survive. So... It's not really all that bad, but then Daniel adds that life as a slave is no life at all. Mm-hmm. Nareem, Sam, and Tilk then interrupt to announce that there is a Gould mothership now in orbit, and Zapakna is just like, it's just here for like the end of Triad, so we can leave because where we're going doesn't have a Stargate. And Jack's like, you could have gated somewhere else and gotten picked up there, but... No one's really super happy about this mothership being there, but as long as it doesn't come any closer, it's, it's I guess, fine where it is. So uh, it's time to vote. Daniel votes for Scara. Surprise. Zippy votes for Chlorel. Surprise. And Laya, after very careful consideration, votes for the original owner of the body, Scara. Yes. Yay! So if you were Laya... Mm-hmm. And you were making like a, you know, impartial type judgment. Mm-hmm. What to you would tip the scales one way or the other? I mean, there's just the fact that the person was already a person, you know, it's like why this this person had a whole life and was a person before you stole it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what would do it for me is the fact that Scara was an unwilling host. Yes. Yes. So what happens now is that the Tolan will summon someone from the Tok'ra to come and remove Chlorel, and if he survives, he will be sent to a Gould world of his choice. The Gould suppression device is then locked to give full access to Skara, and Zipakna is dismissed with thanks from the Tolan. Mm-hmm. And as Chancellor Travel leaves, Zipakna like reaches under his like desk and pulls out a sphere-shaped device and says Renuktuk. And Tilk runs forward, knocks the device away. Jack goes in and, like, punches him. Then Tilk gets back in there and puts Zipakna in a headlock. And once he's unconscious, they just drop him and drag Scar away and kind of, like, shove him in a room to keep him safe while they enact their plan that apparently now exists. Mm -hmm. Um, Outside, we see weapons locking on the ion cannons from space. They get blown up, and ghoul death gliders start swooping in, firing at the buildings and the people and everybody. They all take cover, and Nareem runs to let Chancellor Travell know what's going on. Uh, Tilk and Laya then show up, and Tilk tells Jack that he disobeyed his orders, and Laya then makes them all disappear and then reappear in the woods with an ion cannon. What? Yay. Yay. Uh, unfortunately, something is preventing it from firing, so Tilk goes to work on it because apparently Tilk was shown how Tolan technology works. I think he paid close attention when the dude was checking it out before. Yeah, I kind of went back and happened. watched, and yeah, there was you could definitely see, like, Tilk's point of view, he could see the dude, yeah, doing stuff. Push the buttons when they were yeah. expecting it, yeah. Yep. Um, as everybody else kind of goes to take cover from the incoming gliders... 
Tilt gets it working, off it fires, destroying the two gliders that were coming up to them, and then fires up into the sky, destroying the mothership. And I really like the cool shot that sort of tracks the ion blast like through space, through the atmosphere, up to the mothership in Kablooey. Yeah. It was cool. That was really cool, yeah. So back in the courthouse, Chancellor Travell is like, if you were one of my citizens, I would have to like punish you, but you're not. So she instead kind of so instead she kind of like thanks them for what they did. And Sam addresses Lia with, you know, I thought the Knox were pacifists. And Lia's like, I just hid the cannon. I didn't fire it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a thin line, but it is a line. And she didn't mm-hmm. cross it. So, and so Jack turns to Chancellor Travell and is like, we, like, saved your butts, right? So can we, like, have the plans for the ion cannon thing? And she's like, still no. I mean, I agree you did save us, but still no. Uh, no. So Daniel then comes in and lets them know that the procedure is complete and there are two Tokra with Chlorel in a jar and Jack's like, great, that's fine. Where is an eight? There's Skara! Yay! Yay! He's back. They hug. All is well. Happy times! The end. Yay! Yay. Wow, you went through that really quickly today. This was a really quick episode. Well, because there wasn't a lot of like back and forth of stuff. This was just like... It just, like, went. You know, it was very straightforward of yeah. all sorts of things without a lot of switchy or double plots or things. Yeah. And I think it helps, too, that it was all sort of in one location. Like, you know, last week in Foothold, we were, like, in Colorado and in D.C. and flying on the plane and blah, blah, blah. And this is just, like, we're just on Dolana. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of things that jumped out at you of, like, really? Uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah, this was, I mean, other than how does the Dolan Stargate connect to the whole like, Stargate network, but yeah. yeah. How um, do you dial a phone with no number? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Do you, do you think mm-hmm. after this that the, uh, the Tolan would be like more cautious or after everybody leaves, they're probably just going to be like, yes, we can get back to our lives of being awesome. I think they're just like, all right, let's fix the cannons and get back to it. Yeah. Yep. Do you think this was the plan of the ghoul from the beginning, including Scar's escape? Of like, hey, we found out where their homeworld is. Let's try and invade it. Oh. Hmm. I did have that I, thought. I don't know. I didn't have that thought, but that is a very interesting thought. Mm-hmm. I think, well, because we don't know where Scara was. I mean, he couldn't have been too far because the Death Gliders aren't like long range vehicles, if you will, ships. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. That like those aren't long range ships. So he couldn't have been too far from wherever Harrower's motherships found him, which means he was near Tolana. Whether he was there on purpose or not, I don't know. Especially because, you know, it's the new Tolana, not the old Tolana. I kind of feel like it did seem like that a little bit because obviously the gold would be super overconfident that A, they would win the trial, B, if Mm -hmm. they didn't, whatever, they would just invade and get their way anyway. Yeah. That they would come up with this whole. And, of course, it is not beneath them to do really obscure ruses to to try and get their way. Yes. Um, yeah, I feel like it might have been the plan from the beginning where they discovered where Tolana was and they were like, ha we know this technology can destroy us, so let's go in stealthily, disable everything, and then we win. Uh, I could, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I could see it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. 
Um, are there any memos for this week? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, not really. Oh, yeah. Again, pretty straightforward episode. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There were, no, there were no glaring. Damn it! Take backup. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't need backup. <laughs> They were the backup, really. They, they, yeah, they were. They were, yeah. Or, well, they had Laya as backup. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I do. I think it's really sad, though, that, like, every time they leave the toll in, they're just like, okay, bye. Thank you. And we're constantly like, can you give anything? us, like, like, anything? They're like, mm, nope. Mm-mm. Like, nope. I mean, not even, Your children, like, you're going to break it. You're going to misuse it. <laughs> like, not even, like, medical stuff like I get you know maybe not wanting to use like weapon stuff but surely there's maybe some kind of advanced medicine type thing they could let us in on yeah I don't know like nope your children yeah yep children that I think are beautiful and amazing and want to have clandestine meetings with you yes (laughs) (laughs) he was he was just super horny this week it was weird I know. So do you think in his mind it would be amazing if Sam one day was just like, I want to stay here forever? Well, yeah. Do you think she'd even be allowed to? I don't see why not. Because then she would learn how everything works. I mean, maybe they would make her like sign some sort of massive worldwide NDA or something. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think Nareem would like to have a very serious relationship with Samantha Carter. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't? She's like gorgeous and smart and wonderful and nice and all those good things you want in a person. That is so. true. She's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Should we get into the title? Sure. Okay. So pretense has a few definitions, but I think the one that sort of works for what happens here is an inadequate or insincere attempt to attain a certain condition or quality or a false show. So it's sort of like, you know, the Gould are using the triad as a pretense to hide what they're actually really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of fun foreign territory titles to speak. Most were just pretense. Um, but in, te- in Italian, it translates as deception. Okay. And in German, we just have the Tollen Triad. <laughs> All right. So, yep. Okay. Okay. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, no, I like this one. It was good. I like that we nice. have a resolution to the Sakara Chlorel thing, so we can just be Scar now, yeah. although he's not going to be back until, like, season six. Yeah. So we're not going to see him again for a while, but it's good to, like, get that wrapped up so we can move on. Yeah. Yep. You know what else I liked about this episode is usually when there's episodes like this where, uh, you know, Earth has to comply with the customs of a foreign planet usually jack is like whatever your way is stupid can't you just see what's happening and we usually end up like not liking the version of jack in that episode but in this one he was pretty i mean he did have some you know passionate outbursts and whatnot but he stayed pretty tame and with like within the lines i liked it yeah well i think there he had a lot more sort of personally at stake with scara because he kind of sees scara as like another son in a way so yeah yeah and also usually when it's we must obey the customs it's of a culture who jack would view as less civilized than us so therefore what their cousins are are dumb and stupid because 
they're really old and don't make any sense to Jack. Whereas, yeah. you know, the Talana are almost sort of like a futuristic version of, mm-hmm. you know, humans. So, so yeah. you can see the logic in it. I'm like, all right. Yeah. No, I liked it. I liked it. Yep. There were no there were no characters that were just like, what? That's not you. Yeah. Good episode. Yeah. Yes. I put my stamp of approval on it. Good. Yay. Yay. <laughs> that must be why I remembered it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you like it? Because <laughs> it was one of the ones where I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody out there for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Ergo. Bye. Bye. Bye.